So where were you on Tuesday morning when the storms hit? I left Vibrant Coffee House at about 9.30 after working on this sermon, and I headed here to the office. The skies, well, they looked ominous, but I was oblivious to how serious the situation was. I heard the sirens, but, well, here's a confession. I've gotten so used to hearing those sirens go off that I just block them out. And since they go off so often, when just thunderstorms are coming, I've become immune to the alarms. Don't look at me like that. You do the same thing. Yeah, right? We go to the front window and kind of watch. Well, as I was driving west on John Deere, it suddenly became very dark, very windy. I thought it'd be a good idea to slow down and put my flashers on. And then the rain started, and it was coming sideways from the left, and then from the right, and then it was like I slowed way down. And finally, I made it to the church parking lot after going through a number of detours, a number of roads were closed because trees were down. Uh, We were able to assess our facility here. We lost a few shingles. Uh, We had some damage to our fence right out there to our east. Our trustees have already fixed the shingles and have done some temporary repairs on the fence. Other people experienced significant loss, so we had the elections here this past week, and the election judges said that when that storm came through, the doors opened there, just kind of opened on their own, and then they watched the neighbor's roof lift off the garage, flip over another garage, and land on a driveway, two driveways on 38th Street. That's some 30 yards away. And several Edgewood team members cut up the roof and removed it. I had an opportunity to speak to four of our neighbors, and one of our neighbors said the storm was a sign for him to get back in church. (laughs) I said, well, I can make a recommendation. I know of a good one. (laughs) I was able to invite all four of our neighbors to services this weekend, and I hope maybe one of them is here today in one of the services. And I was thinking, if neighbors start coming on a regular basis, maybe we won't fix the fence so they can just walk right through their backyard. (laughs) Now, several Edgewood members experienced significant damage to their homes and to their cars. Here's a picture of what happened to Dave and Patty Kraft. This is their house. They live in West Rock Island. You can see there's no roof on the house. Their roof lifted off, and they found it a block and a half away. Patty remarked, I saw swirling wind with debris in it. I heard a loud sound, then the whole house started shaking, and the roof just blew off. I connected with Dave shortly after, and this is what he said, I'm trusting God, but I wouldn't be if I wasn't saved. I'm still new enough in my walking with God that I understand he is the best stress relief possible. I didn't handle stress well without him before. What a difference. Thanks be to God. Now, Dave and Patty, they were here last night, are holding on to hope in the midst of a very hard time. And it strikes me, so many today have been affected by the storms 
of life. There's some who've been hit by physical storms here in this community, other parts of the Midwest, certainly in the state of Mississippi, but there are others, perhaps some of you here in this room, or if you're engaging online, you are going through some deep emotional and even psychological pain. I don't know that I've ever seen such a high level of helplessness and hopelessness in our world today. Let me give you an example. After the storms hit on Tuesday, we received a three-word message through Facebook. It came to to our inbox on our Edgewood Facebook page. Here's what the message said, three words. I give up. Well, I've tried to track this gentleman down. I know it's a guy, and I've reached out. I've been in contact with this guy's brother in the hopes of connecting with him. But let me ask you the question, do you feel like giving up? Have you ever felt that way? Do you feel hopeless, helpless? Is there a storm churning in your soul right now? Well, our topic today is resurrecting hope. Most people equate hope with I wish or I want or I'm hoping the weather's going to be good tomorrow or I hope the Cubs win it all this year (laughs) or maybe not. According to dictionary.com, hope is defined this way. This is how most of us understand hope. It's like this expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. But that kind of hope is filled with uncertainty. Ah, but the word hope in the Bible? Oh, the hope, hope in the Bible is very different from how it's used in our culture. The Bible speaks of hope as a certainty. In assurance based on a conviction, a deep settled knowledge grounded in the promises of God. And God invites us to trust Him as our hope. Listen to Psalm 71, verse 5 For you, O Lord, are my hope. In John chapter 11, we're introduced to a man. His name is Lazarus. We find out that he was very sick. He had two sisters, Martha and Mary, and the sisters felt hopeless. They felt helpless because they knew his brother, their brother was about to die. But they heard that Jesus was nearby, so they sent the message to him in the hopes that Jesus would come and heal their brother But the Bible says that instead of coming right away, Jesus purposely waited to come until after Lazarus had died. That sets the context for the narrative in John chapter 11. If you're comfortable, I'm going to invite you to stand, and and we do that just to honor God's word and also have it up on the screen. Uh, You listen now to God's inspired and inerrant and authoritative word. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary. Look what they did. They came to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, listen to the angst behind this. 
Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who's coming into the world. You can be seated. Here's what I'm hoping we get today. Because Jesus rose again, we can hope again, but only if we're born again. I see five phases, five steps, if you will, in Martha's faith journey. We're going to walk through those, and I invite you to see yourself in this process in the hopes that by the end of the message today, you will be motivated to take your next step. The first step is pretty easy. We all do this one pretty well, and that's to express our hurts. When Martha heard that her brother had died, she's gripped with grief. She's overcome with angst. Verse 33 uses the word weeping. Now, that word weeping is a strong word. It means to howl, to bewail, to lament loudly. Friend, if you're going through a rough time right now, it's okay to get it out. Express what you're feeling to God. He can handle it. And I wonder right here in this room, some of you have had relationships just blow up. And you don't even know how it happened, or maybe you do know how it happened. But that ruptured relationship has left you feeling lonely, abandoned even. I wonder if you're struggling with some sort of sin that you can't shake, or an addiction that you can't break. Maybe in your work world, you're overwhelmed, you're stressed out at work, or maybe you wish you had work, or a different kind of work. Perhaps if you're a student, you're stressed out about school, with classes and papers and grades, Or maybe you've done something that has led to deep embarrassment and shame. Or maybe in your financial world, you got, man, I got all these bills coming in. I already have all this debt. And all of that is causing just deep discouragement. Or perhaps you can't even put a a finger on what exactly it is that's going on, but you just have this overwhelming sense of emptiness and this sense of aimlessness. Some of you, I look into your faces and I see that you've lost loved ones recently. And that pain, that grief is raw. I wonder if you today just would say, man, I just feel lost. I feel lost. Now, if you're going through any of those things, I want to recommend our ministry called Celebrate Recovery along with our grief share, divorce care, and Alzheimer's support groups. They've helped restore hope to a lot of people. This past Friday night, someone came to celebrate recovery and experienced forgiveness and freedom from sin for the first time. Praise God for that life change. 
If you're like, hey, that's me, I'm in a tough spot, I want to meet with a pastor or join one of these groups, there's a connection card in front of you. Just fill that out and drop it, and we have boxes in both lobbies. Perhaps all of that that's going on in your life, all those storms, you're just in a place of bitterness. You're like, you look into your soul and it's just dark, you feel angry and bitter. Maybe you even feel frozen in time. Now listen, you can't go back into the past and redo that as much as you'd like to. And if you're stuck in the present, you don't know how to, how to move on from there. It's time for you to take a step toward the Savior. See, because Jesus rose again, you can hope again, but only if you're born again. Notice what Martha does next. She moves close to Christ. Verse 20 tells us about a decision she made. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. Even before Jesus arrived in the city limits, she went to find him. She wanted to get close to him. She wasn't sure exactly what Jesus could do, but she knew she needed to get close. Hey, wherever you are, would you take a step toward Jesus? Perhaps you came today because you were forced to come by a loved one. Well, whatever the case, however you came today, We're glad you're here. Let me encourage you to get closer to Christ. Seek him out. And when you do, you'll find what you're looking for in him. Check out this promise from the book of Jeremiah. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Now, when you move towards Christ, it doesn't mean you have to have everything answered or everything figured out. Some of us, and I know this because this is how I used to think, man, like I got to clean up my mouth. I got to stop this habit. I have to start that habit. I just, I got I to just do this and then I'll get serious with God. Doesn't work that way. No, you come to God as you are with all your mess and let him clean you up. See, because Jesus rose again, you can hope again, but only if you're born again. Notice next what Martha does. She puts words to her complaints. She describes her doubt. So she got close to Jesus and then she communicated these words, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You ever ask questions like that? If only, if only I would have done that. If only I would not have done that. If only he or she would not have done that to me. These kinds of if questions are normal when we're rocked by the crushing waves of circumstances beyond our control. We ask these kinds of questions in the hope that somehow if things that just worked out a little differently, we wouldn't be in the jam we're in. I wonder today if you've been blaming God. If only God would have kept that storm, that situation from hitting me. Well, that's precisely the implication that Martha is making. Let me read her response again, but I'm going to emphasize a different word. Lord, if you had been here my brother would not have died. 
Now, it helps to know Jesus is close to us when we've been clobbered by life. In verse 33, her sister Mary registers a very similar complaint, and then we hear these comforting words. So Jesus hears these two sisters kind of going off and blaming and saying, Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. To be deeply moved means Jesus groaned at the tyranny of what the devil was doing in the world, at the the tyranny of our own depravity and of death itself. The phrase greatly troubled means to be stirred up or agitated. But get this, the sorrow of the sisters stirred the Savior to sympathy. Surrounded by family and friends, Jesus was deeply moved. He could have at that moment said something extremely profound. He had their attention. Ah, but here's what we read in the shortest verse in the Bible. John eleven thirty five. 35. He wept. In the midst of all the pain that he saw, he wept. Now, that word is different from the word weeping done by family and friends. Jesus was deeply moved by the death of Lazarus and the sorrow of his family, so he shed tears, but he didn't wail. I think it's because he's in complete control, and he knew that he was about to defeat death and depravity and the devil himself through his death and resurrection. So here's Jesus of Nazareth attending the funeral of a friend and openly shedding tears without embarrassment, without apology. Hey, whatever you're going through or you're going to go through, you're not alone in that pain. Jesus loves you more than you know. In verse 3, we read, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Verse 5, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Verse 36, after Jesus wept, people said, see how he loved him. So because Jesus rose again, you can hope again today, but only if you're born again. Number four, learn who the Lord is. Notice next, it's not until Martha expresses her sorrow, not until she gets close to Christ, not until she describes her doubts, that Jesus speaks. Don't be afraid of being real with God. He can handle your honesty, and then he'll speak into your troubles. Look at verse 23. Jesus replied, your brother will rise again. Now, Martha gives the correct Sunday school answer, but it appears to lack any linkage to her life. It was like the religious response, but but really not relevant to her. She says in verse 24, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So she understood that in her head, but it hadn't filtered down to her heart. I wonder, does that describe you? Does that sound familiar? Maybe you've had some church in your past. Maybe you know some things about the Bible. Maybe you have a cursory acquaintance with Christ, but it's not relevant. It's not real. Maybe you know about him, but you don't know him relationally and personally. 
I love how Jesus interjected himself into this theoretical theology. Verse 25 and 26, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, think of this promise, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And so Jesus moved from an abstract belief about something in the distant future and personalized trust in himself, who alone can raise the dead and resurrect her hope. Observe, Jesus used the present tense, I am, which takes us back to Exodus 3, the name for God, I am who I am. Jesus says, I am, not I will be or I was. He is right now the resurrection and the life. The resurrection was not just an event. It was a person. Hope has a name, and that name is Jesus. There is no hope apart from Christ. Literally, Jesus is saying something like this. I, even I, and only I, am the resurrection and the life. Jesus didn't merely say there is a resurrection. He said he is the resurrection. And the fact that he would rise from the dead was the guarantee that others would too. He doesn't just give life, he is life. John 1, 4 declares, in him was life. John 14, 6, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 19, because I live, you also will live. As I was percolating on this passage, two things struck me that made me smile. Perhaps they will for you as well. Jesus speaks truth to us in order to give us hope when we're hopeless. And secondly, he sheds tears to give help when we're hurting. Incidentally, the so-called gods, small g gods of other religions, are never said to love or lament. They stand far away, often with arms crossed, removed from human hurt. In contrast, listen to how Isaiah 53.3 describes Jesus. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Jesus is both powerful and he's personal. He is great and he's gracious. He speaks truth and He sheds tears for you. He is close and he'll comfort you through the storms of life. And because he rose again, you can hope again as long as you're born again. Number five, personally believe and receive Jesus Christ. Jesus' personal question to Martha is the same personal question he's asking you and I right now. Do you believe this? The word believe has much more than just an intellectual element to it. In the New Testament, faith, trust, and belief all come from the same general root word, meaning to lean wholly upon as when you lie down on a bed, resting your whole weight upon it. It's the idea of being fully persuaded to rely on, to trust in. In this chapter alone, the word believe in some form is used eight times times by Jesus. And so faith certainly has an intellectual element to it and sometimes an emotional response, but ultimately faith 
is generated and expressed through our will where we make a decision, a commitment to believe and receive. After declaring he's the resurrection and the life, would you note how Jesus personalizes this for Martha as he does for us? He starts by saying, whoever believes in me. I picture him with his arms wide. Whoever, wherever, from all countries, all languages, all races, everywhere, on every continent, whoever believes. Next, he narrows the invitation. He says, and everyone who believes in me shall never die. But don't miss what he does next. He locks into Martha, and he looks right at her, and he says, do you believe this? Like, do you believe this? He's locking eyes with her. Martha, how about you? I love her response, verse 27. She's like, yes, Lord, I believe. She settles it, that you are the Christ, the Son of God who's coming into the world. She exercised her will and received what Jesus was offering her. In a similar way, today, Jesus is waiting to hear you say, yes, Lord, I believe. Have you ever said that to him? I'm going to give you an opportunity at the end of the message to do just that. When Martha said yes to Jesus, she wasn't just nodding her head and passively having some positive vibes about Jesus. No, she's, she's making a very strong affirmation. Yes, and more so, truly, certainly, altogether. Even though my brother has died, I do believe and I will continue to believe. She was all in. Would you notice she rightly refers to Jesus as Lord, the Christ, and the Son of God. Amid her distress, she said yes to believing in Jesus as sovereign, as Savior, and as the Son of God. I wonder if you're ready to boldly believe and receive what Jesus has done for you. I like how Ron Hutchcraft says that Jesus walked out of the grave so he could walk into your life. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life, you can have a fresh start now. You can have your sins forgiven, and he'll give you the power to live life as it's meant to be lived, and in the process, give you hope that lasts forever. In verse 43, Jesus calls out in a loud voice to Lazarus, who has been dead and decomposing for four days. Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus came out. Jesus called him by name just as he's calling your name now. I like what Charlie Date said. Jesus didn't just do weddings. He did funerals too. Well, sort of. It seems like every funeral Jesus attended, the dead got up. <laughs> In just a few chapters, another stone a large stone would be rolled away to reveal a tomb that was now empty. As Pastor Chad read earlier from John 20, another Mary was outside weeping without hope. And she finally looked inside. She saw two angels who asked her why she was weeping. 
And then the resurrected Jesus asked her the same question, but she didn't know it was Jesus. He followed this with a second question. Whom are you seeking? Notice he asked about her sorrow and about her searching. Observe, Jesus didn't ask what she was looking for, but whom she was looking for. Some of us think we'll find happiness and satisfaction and purpose in life through a possession, through an experience, through something. And the Bible says you will never find what you're looking for until you find that someone, meaning Jesus Only Jesus can meet our deepest needs. So I wonder, are you crying on the inside today? Do you have a storm in your soul? Has a microburst or a tornado just stirred everything up inside? Jesus knows all about it. Oh, would you invite him in, into your pain? Who are you searching for? If you search for Jesus, you will find him because he will meet you right where you are. He can bring hope into any hopeless situation. In verse 16, Jesus said just one word to her, Mary. Actually, in the original, he uses her Aramaic name, Miriam. He spoke her native name in her native tongue. That was the name family and friends used. Jesus called her Miriam when he spoke to her. All Jesus had to do was speak her name, and she immediately turned toward him. That got her attention. And she cried out, also in Aramaic, Rabboni. Now, that's a form of the word rabbi, but it means much more than rabbi. Rabbi means teacher. It means my teacher, my master. And so when she announced the good news of the resurrection to the disciples, she declared these words, I have seen the Lord. So the resurrected Christ is speaking your name. He knows your name. You matter to him. He cares about you and he's offering you today, right now, resurrected hope. Do you hear your name? Paul, Molly, Terrence, Jennifer, Kevin, Debbie. Do you hear him? Will you follow him? Will you surrender to him as Lord? Paul Tripp summarized it well. If Jesus defeated death and the empty tomb tells us he did, then there is no dark thing in your heart that he is also not able to defeat. The Bible says we're all dead in our sins. To turn our lives around and make us spiritually alive is as great a miracle as raising Lazarus from the dead. See, listen, Jesus loves to bring dead things to life. You've not gone too far to be disqualified. Jesus died as your substitute on the cross. He paid the price for all of your sins. Yeah, those ugly sins. He paid the price for all of them. And he is the resurrection that brings life so that when you die, yet shall you live. But you must decisively believe and receive him as your Savior and Lord. 
right here, right now. Erwin Lutzer writes, we do not need a Savior who can just help us. We need a Savior who can resurrect us. We do not just need a Savior who helps us when life gets tough. We need a Savior who can help us when life ends. So let me circle back around. We focused on five phases in Martha's faith journey. Let me list them again and ask you, what's your next step? Perhaps you haven't started by just expressing getting out your hurts. Maybe today is your first step in moving closer to Christ. Maybe it's time to describe your doubts and just put into words your complaints to him. Or maybe it's to learn who the Lord is. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you. Take it as our gift to you. Maybe you're ready today to personally believe and receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. Mark this, Jesus didn't die to improve us. He died to bring dead people to life. So whatever storm you are in right now, you're not suffering from anything a good resurrection can't fix. See, because Jesus rose again, you can have hope again. But make sure you're first born again. The resurrection of Jesus Christ stands at the center of hope for the Christian. Because Christ is risen, we know that his death on the cross accomplished its saving purpose as the once-for-all sacrifice for sin. And because Christ is risen, those who trust him, who believe, can hope again in the glorious resurrection. Storms can get our attention. God sends warnings to us because he loves us. If we tune those out, we do so at our own peril. I wonder today if you've heard the alarm, if you've heard a siren announcing salvation and that now is the time to respond. Don't ignore that alarm. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes and I'm going to pray. If what I pray represents what you're thinking and feeling, but most importantly, that you're ready as a decision of your will to receive Christ, I ask you to pray this along with me silently. Lord Jesus, for way too long, I've kept you out of my life. I've just been living for myself, for my own pleasure. Uh, for just doing whatever I want to do. And I want to just admit that I'm a sinner and I cannot save myself. I repent of my sins by changing my mind about the way I've been living. I don't want to stay the way I am. I can't any longer. And so by faith, I believe and I receive your free gift of salvation. I want to be born again. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming to earth. You're the great I am. You're the resurrection and the life. And so with all my heart, I believe that you are the Son of God. You died on the cross for my sins, and you rose from the dead on the third day. Thank you for bearing my sins and giving me the gift of eternal life. I believe your words are true. Yes, Lord, I believe, and now I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I surrender to your leadership in my life. Make me into the person you want me to be. In Jesus' name, amen. 
If you prayed that prayer and meant it, there's a green card in front of you. It's called Next Steps. You could fill out your name and just check. I've decided to follow Jesus, and we'll get you information and help material that will help you take your next step with Jesus. If you're invited by a friend, tell them that you prayed and trusted Christ today. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I'm going to ask you to stand and let's sing our closing song together.